Hello, professional property managers. Andrew Smallwood here, and I'm here with Matt Whitaker, who is the CEO of Evernest and also the host of one of our favorite industry podcasts, 300 to 3000. Matt, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for taking time. I am so excited to be here. I got to tell you, uh, Andrew, I am actually super nervous about this because I think a lot of second nature and I think a lot of what you guys are doing in the industry and um, you have such a powerful voice in the industry. So I know a bunch of people are going to listen to this. So I'm just trying not to screw it up. <laughs> well, I know, I know you know the feeling is reciprocal and really appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks, thanks for the kind words. And um, I mean, we've got a lot we're excited to cover today, you know, just to kind of let people know where we're going. We're going to talk about the future of property management as well as what's working today. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to... We're going to talk about all kinds of things that are really exciting. And I feel like you've got a unique position and unique expertise. You know, there's not many companies, Matt, that have scaled uh, to 5,000, not just from 300 to 3,000, but now to 5,000 doors, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we're um, closing in on that. Not haven't hit it yet, but we're headed that way. Fast approaching. And and how many markets are you in now? The number changes every time I talk to you. So Yeah, we ju actually just announced our next market. So we're opening an office in Memphis. Uh, so that will actually make 14 markets, but we have 10 essentially offices that manage those 14 markets. That's so great. And I, I know the people that we've met that work on your team, Duncan and, and Grace and, uh, and Gray Hall, Jacob more recently in account. I mean, you have a fantastic team from Birmingham out to those different markets. Um, and there's a, there's a real feel and a vibe that you get. Like when you interact with someone at an Evernest, uh, you know, an Evernest market leader, there's a, there's a feel and a vibe of the kind of person uh, that you're going to be interacting with and the kind of quality and level of conversation you can have with them. That's really impressive. And I, I'd love to start there of just how you think about, um, you know, bringing in talent, what talent you look for, and how that informs the culture that you're trying to build at Evernest. We used to have a joke. We used to say we don't hire property managers. Um, and, and we do hire property managers. Anybody's listening to this. But the, <laughs> the whole idea was that, look, we can train property management. And uh, what we can't train are, the, are the, the motivation and the goals and the focus that it takes from really good people. So one of the things I found about the property management business, and this was my story as well, is nobody nobody grows up wanting to be in the property management business. Um, you know, so what we had to do was go out and find really capable people and teach them property management. And we're selling what we sell to our people is the ability to move up fast within the organization, take on more and more responsibility and do that. I mean, some people don't have a ton of business experience. So a lot of people are doing it at a very young age. A lot of our markets are being run by people in their twenties and they're running anywhere from a million to two, two and a half, maybe $3 million uh, businesses. And you just don't get a lot of opportunity to do that in a lot of different organizations. And so what we do is do a really good job of selling the vision of where we're headed, what we're doing, and people are willing to do property management to be a part of that vision. That's really great. And you know, through your company's expansion, one of the questions that was asked actually in our Facebook group, Matt, was, 
through that expansion and attracting these great people who it sounds like share some things in common that you're looking for, like a high level of motivation, a strong ability to focus, some of these certain skills and confidences and attitudes uh, that that you're looking for in training them on the specifics of the business. But what have been the core practices or attitudes or principles that you've kept you know, anchored that you want to make sure are consistent across location, whereas you're okay in some cases for a personality difference or a stylistic difference or freedom? How do, how do you think about that? Yeah, so we have five core values that we think about, talk about all the time. And as we're a big believer in the EOS model, Gino Wickman's book, Traction. Uh, so it's team, integrity, personal discipline, entrepreneurial spirit, and hustle. So just to hit those real quick to tell you how we think about it. So team, uh, what we think is that if you want to go fast, you can go by yourself. But if you want to go far like Evernest does, you're going to have to go with a team. And so anytime you climb Mount Everest, uh, one of the reasons we love the name Evernest is it looks a little bit like Everest when um, you glance at it, is the fact that uh, it takes a team to get to the top of Everest. You can't run up the side of Everest solo. So um, since we want to grow far, we're going to make sure that uh, we have people that are very team oriented, willing to help each other out, willing to pick up uh, the slack when something, if, if a team member falls behind, willing to jump in and help out. The next one is integrity. Uh, this actually gets a little bit into your question. Of course, we want people that tell the truth. I mean, that's kind of a pay to play uh, type personality. But the other thing we want is uh, integrity actually comes from a word meaning whole. And so we want a whole person and we love for um, personality differences because we think that creates a much better business. And so we want people to bring the whole person uh, to the office. We also think a little bit about that in terms of what our why, like to get into Simon Sinek's why, is to develop people personally and professionally. So we, we think that we play a part in making a whole person uh, we have selfish motives to do that. We want people to develop personally and professionally because it seems like the better they get personally and professionally, the uh, the better Evernest gets. So the more we can teach them how to handle more work, or the more or more we can deal with stress, or uh, eating right, or physical activity, they have more energy. They're more focused at work. Um, we just think that that's a that's a really important piece, and it's a kind of a win win for everybody. Uh, the next one is personal discipline. You know that property management is very simply a just a bunch of checklists. And people that are personally disciplined to the grind that come with personal discipline, whether that's they have morning routines or workout routines or uh, evening routines that they consistently follow, we found that they're more successful in the property management business because they're willing, they don't need to like, break something just to have something fun and new to do, they're willing to stick with the consistency of the process. Um, and, and you think about professional athletes, we get to see them at the times when they're winning and everything's great and they won the masters or they won the world series. But what, what we, pe what people don't see is the behind the scenes grind that these athletes do on a daily basis. Like it's not football season when we're recording this, but I know that there's athletes out there that right now are working out, sweating, you know, running sprints, and they're they're willing to stick to the grind because they know 
that at some point they're going to get to get all the glory uh, for for winning. And so we kind of think about that uh, when we talk about personal discipline. The next one's entrepreneurial spirit. What we really mean here, it's kind of hard for everybody to be the entrepreneur, right? Like when we first started, it was really fun to find people that had a bunch of entrepreneurial spirit and say, hey, we're going to give you a lot of autonomy to do whatever you want to do. As you grow an organization, it starts to become a little harder to do that. We still have a bunch of freedom and I, I think everybody would still say they have a lot of autonomy, but really what we mean is ownership of the role. One of the things I found about entrepreneurs is that they... Um, they are very in tune with owning the outcome. And we just want people that kind of own the outcome. And we found that if we have people that own that outcome, then uh, we're going to have a very successful business. And people aren't placing blame. We, we really want to build the machine for success. And having people own the outcome seems to do that. And then the last thing is hustle. Uh, right before you and I jumped on, we talked a lot about baseball. And I'm a former baseball player. And one of the things that I always tell the kids that I coach now is everybody can run out onto the field. Everybody can do their best uh, when a ground ball is hit to them. And we want, we want team members that are hustling. Uh, there's two types of errors in baseball. There is the error of I, on a ground ball, I sat back, I let the ball come to me. By the time the ball got to me because I didn't hustle, uh, the runner was a little further down first base than I thought, and I have to make a fast throw and I throw the ball away. That's the error of, you know, of waiting back. And, and we want people that make the error of, hey, I did everything I could. I, I charged the ball. I threw off my back foot threw, and it just happened to not work out. And so we think about hustle in the context of we want to make a lot of mistakes, but we want to make a lot of mistakes because we're going fast. And uh, not because we're sitting back and hoping uh, that the ball doesn't get hit to us. So um, when we think about our whole team, we constantly talk about when we're going through our, our hiring process, we affectionately call the grinder. We're thinking about this in the context, is this person exhibiting these core values? And then when we have a team member and we're, maybe we're struggling with them or we do one-to-ones on a monthly basis, we think about these core values and even share with them when we feel like they're not leading up, live, excuse me, living up to the core value. Mm. That's really great. And really appreciate you kind of putting a little detail on the core values because for so many people, sometimes a word is just a word, but you, you start to understand the definition of how the Everness team, you know, shares a definition and expresses themselves, right? Through in these core values in such a way where it, it becomes apparent, it becomes consistent across location, right? If you're if you're working with people, these are the kinds of people who share these kind of values. This is what they're thinking about on a daily basis and how they conduct themselves, how business is done around here, <laughs> you know, as it relates to those values. But it sounds like you have personality differences, which which rings true as I think about your team, because some of them seem like they might have an athletic background. Some of them have like worked with the State Department previously. You know, there's all these interesting backgrounds, and there's a real diversity of kind of what worlds they've come from. But they do share a lot of the characteristics that you that you just mentioned. That that seems apparent even just to somebody like me who's interacted with them only a few times. So, um, Matt, I've got a follow up question on this, which is a big question on people's mind right now is, you know, and maybe somebody's listening to this in 2026, because there's probably some timeless lessons here. But, you know, for those of us listening in 2021, uh, you know, what the world has gone through in the last year and a half 
um, it's raised some really big questions about uh, in-office culture and just having office space in general. Uh, and when you're working across multiple markets like you have, you, you already had a quote-unquote remote workforce to a certain degree, right? But w- what are the kinds of things that you've learned or assumptions that have been challenged? Or what, what's your current thinking on this uh, amongst the leadership team at Evernest of, you know, are we getting back in office? What's back in office? What's market specific? What's centralized? What's remote? And, and how you can keep this great culture sustained and building, you know, in, in that kind of environment, in those circumstances? Yeah, this is a great question because I don't think I'm going to have all the answers, but I can tell you that we're asking a lot of these questions internally. We just got done with our leadership offsite and we talked about, do we want to bring everybody back? Do we feel like we're missing out on some of that culture piece? And what we decided is we may be too far gone to bring everybody back because we started hiring top talent remotely. Um, And we're dealing with some of that too, right? Like um, being in a secondary, even maybe a, a super tertiary market like Birmingham, we feel the effects of California, New York companies coming in and hiring people to work remotely out of Birmingham. And so we think that uh, it's for us, it's going to be probably something we're going to have to deal with to compete with these companies. We're going to have to offer some of the same things that they're willing to offer, which is working remotely. So um, what we said is at the market level, we're going to let the team leader make that decision because the team leader is responsible for driving culture down within their organization. And so uh, we have one market that I know of that the team leader requires their team to be there three out of five days. Uh, We have other markets where maybe like in Atlanta, where it's just harder to get to the office. Um, And I don't know what what Duncan's going to decide who runs Atlanta, but, but point being that we think that that is very localized as well. Our corporate office, we were actually looking for it for corporate space when COVID hit and hadn't signed any leases, thank goodness. But um, our corporate office, we we just hired a new remote accounting person that's going to run all of our property accounting in Texas. And we don't even have an office in Texas. So obviously, she's going to be working remotely um, for us. And so we decided, you know, look, this is too far gone. We're going to have to go throughout the country and find the top level talent. And you are exactly right. When we switched to remote, we did not skip a beat because we were used to working remotely. We have a team of about 40 people down in Mexico. Uh, obviously we have nine different offices, I guess, quote unquote offices now spread throughout the, uh, uh, the country. And we were used to being on Zoom and, and having these conversations. I think the, the key question is, uh, everybody's pushback is, well, how do you build culture when you're in a bunch of different places? And I think what you have to do is be intentional about it and be strategic about it. I don't think there's any one formula that works for everybody. Like building culture in Denver may look different than building culture in Atlanta or building corporate culture. One of the things we are doing is we're bringing everybody, all the who we consider leadership in our organization. So it's about 20 people to Birmingham in two months. 
and we're going to spend a day and a half together and be super intentional about uh, building relationships across departments, across markets, having team leaders spend uh, a lot of time together so that because keep in mind, we've grown a, a, a lot during COVID. And so there's a lot of people that never even seen each other in person. And so we just think it's going to be important for us to be intentional about bringing people together at certain cadences throughout the year. Um, there's a great book out there. I think it's called Remote uh, by the guy that started. Um, help me out here. Jason Freed. Oh, yeah. Started. Basecamp. Um, Basecamp, yes, and he he actually wrote a book that their whole company, their entire company, is remote. And he wrote a great book, which is really easy to read. You can read it all on a Sunday afternoon about how he builds culture while working remotely. And one of his key takeaways, or one of my key takeaways, was they do get together on a consistent basis. And so the, maybe the money that I would spend on office space could be better spent on getting everybody together uh, somewhere in the country. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of some of the things that you know we've noticed and uh, talking to other property managers that have been noticed too about working in this uh, distributed workforce. You mentioned how talent is now accessible all across the country and yet also competition for talent is also happening all across the country, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, One of the things that you mentioned was that you're really intentional about relationship building and trust building, even when there's a remote team. So whether that's being bringing people for leadership offsites, whether it's how you connect on Zoom and taking time for that, I think that's where a lot of people got tripped up. You know, around March, April of last year, as they were moving into, um, you know, a, a Zoom and distributed type of setup, is you start to see these information gaps that occur you know, <laughs> of, uh, hey, this team doesn't know about what's going on versus this team doesn't know about what's going on. And working in a departmental type of structure like that, there can be information gaps that present themselves that you've got to solve for as a business leader. But one of the big things is the relationship building and the trust building. And you mentioned, hey, this money that people are spending on, you know, 10,000 square feet <laughs> of corporate office space, uh, potentially, or whatever the number is for you, you know, looking at, hey, how do we bring people in for a couple of days and and not just use that time to do information sharing about the business, right? But how do we do it in such a way where they're more connected to each other and there is that trust, there is that bond that lasts beyond that moment as they're working together digitally and remotely in the months to follow. Um, that's really great, great what you should. And the book recommendation, you said Remote by Jason Fried. We'll make sure to get that in the in the show notes. That's great. Um, and what I would say, Andrew, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like when I get everybody together, it's going to be, it's going to be relationship first and then fill in the gaps with vision sharing and all the other things we're going to do. I mean, the whole, it, it, you, as you know, when you go to a conference and we have these relationships that we've built throughout the NARPM world, it really is more about the the time in between the sessions, not that we don't learn great things in the sessions, but it's really more about the time in between the sessions where you're developing deep relationships with people that you can pick up the phone and call. And I want to build that same type of connection amongst my team. How can I, how can I facilitate and foster relationships in my team so that somebody in Nashville can pick up the phone and call somebody in Denver and say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Whereas 
the COO or whoever's running the operations or managing the team leader doesn't always become the, 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 the only voice of truth. Mm. It's something that's so powerful, I think, to me about your leadership, Matthew, and I know you'll, you'll say this is also extended throughout the leaders on your team, which I think is true as well, that I think is an ethic we share at Second Nature is, you know, great companies and great businesses, great leaders, you know, it's, it's not just about, can this person perform the task, you know, in front of them, you know, in, in the 40, 50 hours of work product that they're supposed to deliver, but they think very intentionally about what's the health of the connection between the team members? What's the strength of the bond, right, between those people? And, you know, for people with an entrepreneurial spirit who are team-oriented, who are disciplined, who are focused, who are motivated, when those people can pick up a phone because they want to talk to that person in Colorado and say, I saw you were crushing this and I've got to learn what you're doing so I can get that result. And there's that kind of conversation going on voluntarily in your organization that unlocks a kind of performance you know, that most people don't see in their business if they don't intentionally do that. It, it just seems... Like that's a really special part of the special sauce over at the Evernest, Evernest uh, organization. Yeah. And I would say like, if you probably polled our team right now, we'd, we'd probably get a C plus on that, but you know, coming out of COVID it's become more and more apparent as we continue to scale. You know, the other challenge, Andrew, is just you're constantly adding new team members. And so, you know, I can't be the only vision share. I can't be the only teacher, the only coach. And so how do you grow fast, but not lose kind of what got you started, lose the, the culture that, that got you started. And so, um, you know, not only growing fast, if we were gro all growing fast here in Birmingham, it would be way easier to probably, even though it'd be hard, you'd still be very intentional and you'd have everybody here in Birmingham. But what the challenge that we're all having as we scale companies across multiple markets is not only are we growing fast, but we're also having to disseminate information and make sure it's very consistent. Um, I'll give you a perfect example of something we screwed up. I have a nine-week course that we created through a software called Lessonly. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a rock uh, for people that e love EOS uh, in September 2019 to put this nine-week course together for new people. And it was basically just culture sharing. It was you know, a daily dose of the Evernest culture. Well, I haven't touched that thing in about a year now. And I went back and started watching some of the videos. And number one, it still had the name GK Houses <laughs> all over it. And and so you you just, I mean, those are the types of things as you scale, if you want to keep the, the thing, the difference that got you there, you've got to be personally disciplined, get back to one of our other core values. You got to be disciplined to updating that on a consistent basis. And so, listen, we've made tons of mistakes. I mean, uh, one of the other things we say around here a lot is, um, if you came in, if you were an alien, you came in and you just saw our company, you would wonder how we were still in business uh, because of some of the dumb things that we've done. Uh, and so we say that all, I cannot believe we're still in business and doing something like this. So. Um, you know, if somebody thinks that growing a business is very clean and what it looks like probably on LinkedIn from the outside, it's not uh, on the inside. And I, I think some of our people are like surprised at the success internally, knowing all the, the warts that we have, that we could possibly be where we are today. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm sure people can 
can relate to that and uh, are encouraged by that, you know, to hear that, hey, a company that's grown to the, this place that has, you know, impressive and, and what seems like posh fuel that you guys have worked through the same challenges, the same problems, the, the same learnings, uh, you know, that, that many people listening to this have, have had or are, are facing right now. That's really great. Um, I want to go a little different direction. I feel like we've covered a lot on team, talent, culture, you know, how that's working in remote and everything here. A question I have down that I definitely want to ask you is about what you see and what you're looking at when you think about the future of single family property management or small multifamily, the scattered site, however people want to define it. When you look at this industry that we're in and we share together, you know, what images of the future do you see and what are the kind of things you're looking at and paying attention to? So mine's a little bit different, although very similar to some of the people. I, we actually just got back from a conference uh, a few weeks ago. And so I was having this conversation uh, with a lot of people, including Thad. Uh, he and I talked a little bit about this. You know, I see kind of the property management industry breaking into two worlds. I do believe there is still a place for the boutique manager in the future. Now, there's some people that actually disagree with that, but one of the things I think is hard to replace for a company like ours is that partnership feeling that I, that an investor has when they have a uh, boutique manager that they can call on the cell phone almost anytime. They'll answer. They have a answer for anything because they've seen everything. And I think that that's going to be really hard to replicate for certain investors. Um, you know, we've tried to do our best to replicate some of it, but anytime you're bringing somebody new into the industry, that doesn't have 20 years of experience managing properties. They just don't have that type of awareness. And so they, it's hard to replicate that. And I kind of call that the genius with a thousand helpers, um, to use a Jim Collins model. And, and I think that's going to be there. If somebody wants to grow a property management company, you know, call it a hundred to 400 units. Uh, and know what's going on with almost every single one of those houses. I think that's great. It's very good. It's going to be a very good lifestyle business. You can make a lot of money doing that. I think what is going to happen is uh, also is on the opposite end of that spectrum. I think there's going to be platform businesses that provide value to investors in other ways. Okay, so um, the boutique manager is the partner and the, um, the platform business, let's call it, is going to provide basically an ecosystem of everything from property management, uh, perhaps brokerage, perhaps maintenance, all these other verticals that are, that are driving value for their clients, for their customers, maybe their residents. Um, and so, you know, I, what I would be afraid of is being caught somewhere in the middle. Um, where you're, you got a big enough company that you don't know all your clients, um, and but you don't have a big enough company that you can't drive scale and give your clients and customers the benefit of that scale. So I think it's going to be um, very much a like a dumbbell. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot in the boutique, and there's going to be these really big companies that come out of this. Because the industry is undergoing, like the foundation of the industry is being shaken right now. And I think people that are denying the fact that um, things are going to change is uh, very much like, you know, thinking that something like a Walmart's not going to change the retail industry. But I think everybody can win. 
uh, one way or another by just being intentional about knowing where this is headed or having a good idea where it's headed and setting up their business to to do well in uh, in mm. that future market. I, I love what you said there because you know we've heard so much conversation in the past months about Zillow, 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 <laughs> you know, VC companies, different, like all different kinds of angles of this. And I think people see change happening, but sometimes we see a little too much fear uh, around like how quickly that can happen and how, uh, you know, expansive that change is going to be right away. I think there's some people in that camp of kind of over, uh, overdoing it. It's like, even if you look at Zillow on the sales side, which is primarily where they've been focused, it's like, yeah, they've got a great chunk of the market there that they're doing now, but you know, it, it <laughs> it's not like they've taken over a hundred percent of transactions, right? Um, we've got 15 million single family, you know, rental homes and, uh, to be able to scale up to a million homes under management, that that's going to take companies some time, right. To get there. But you know, to your point, I think the people who are sitting back and saying there is no change, it's the same business as it was 20 years ago, they are going to be left in a tough spot because things are changing enough where it's an interesting paradigm you present of, hey, are you focused on, you know, you said boutique, and we might say this as, you know, really differentiating on service and experience in a way that's very personalized and isn't, it's purposefully not scalable, right? And that's the way that you create value. And there's companies that can do that and pursue that direction. There's other companies that can look at economies of scale and, and becoming a platform for other businesses and verticals, other ways of monetizing their business in such a way that they can bring value, expanding in a different way to customers uh, in those two tracks. So it seems like Evernest has really picked the latter, if I'm not mistaken. And that that's the track that you guys are going down. You know what? What attracts you to that and what do you see for the future down that path um, as a company? Well, I think I, I, one thing I wish I'd asked myself, and this is probably the, I think this is like the first or the second episode on 300 to 3000. I wish I had been more intentional. I think one of the things that people get into trouble is they think growth is good and that if I grow, I'm going to make more money. And there, there are, I can tell you dozens of inter, uh, instances where Somebody that manages a couple hundred uh, homes that's intentional about it makes way more money than the person that manages a thousand. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. Um, if you want to read a great book on that, read No Man's Land. Um, I forget. I don't know who the author is, but it talks about, um, you know, once you move past what I would call boutique management. But the, the, I think the, um, the, can you do you mind repeating that question? Hopefully you can chop that off. No, totally. So I think uh, you know, the question we're asking you, I think, is saying, hey, you've got this future, and I, I think you see two parties. It seems like Everness is going down the path of scale. And so, you know, what what do you see down that path? What do you think is, is in store for the future? What what are the bets you're making uh, at Everness? What do you see as your role in that in that side of things? Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you asking that again. Uh so one of the things that we've seen actually recently is we just started a brokerage business and I, I made about 15 phone calls to really good 
property managers that were basically going very deep in one market and and were uh, building a brokerage business around that. And so in December of this year, we decided, hey, we already do have a maintenance business. So that was kind of our second vertical on top of property management. We started that years ago and it's not perfect, but it does really well. And so we were ready to start another vertical in, in the with the goal of providing more value to our clients. So we said, hey, one of the things about property management is it can be commoditized at scale. And what are some things that we can help, we can do to help drive value to our clients? And so we thought helping people find rental homes, because we have people ask us all the time, why don't we do a, create a system and a, a kind of a department that basically just helps people? And all it does is support the property management business. The whole goal is for us to use property management as a beachhead. And so we started that. We, we set a goal of 400 transactions uh, for 2021. And, and Gray and I had this conversation. Gray has actually moved over to run it. So people that are familiar with Gray Hall, one of our kind of top talents within the organization moved over from running Denver to running this brokerage business. We said, Hey, if we blow it out of the water, we're going to hit 600 transactions. Well, right now, um, he believes, and I believe we're on pace for about 900 transactions this year, which is just insane compared to, and we didn't have hardly any transactions in December. What that shows you is the power. And what it showed me is the power of the vertical, right? If I came in off the street, got my real estate license, uh, there's almost no chance in the world that I'm going to be on pace for 400 or 600 or maybe even 900 transactions. But the power of the property management business as the beachhead is really helping us drive that. And there's some institutional people that are, um, you know, we're helping buy houses. There's who we call Mike the investor, which is the professional landlord. I mean, we're helping all sorts of different people. And, and listen, we're continuing to build that out amongst the markets. Like it's not, it's basically in just version 1.0, but it just shows you the power of what people will be able to do at scale. Like what are other verticals? Um, you know, I just think about the resident benefit package. Um, you know, if you think of it at 300 houses, yeah, it makes a little bit of money and it's it probably definitely something you should do with a boutique business. But think about the the, the platform business that manages 25,000, 100,000. I mean, those numbers are just mind numbing what you can do with that scale. And so those are the, those are the types of things these platform businesses are really um, thinking about and thinking about making little bits of money in scale. Mm. I, I love what you said there, which is, you know, and we talk to our customers about this as a lot. Like there's an analogy out there of, you know, are you selling the razor or are you selling the razor blades? You mentioned property management is your beachhead. But hey, once you're there and you've got the investor relationship and you've got the resident relationship, and as you're really starting to figure that out, you see opportunities to say, we can solve more problems for this person, right? And create what we call triple wins, the name of this podcast. And, you know, in-housing maintenance, brokerage, these are, I, by the way, I didn't even know there was 900 homes available for listing uh, in the market right now, Matt, <laughs> the way things are going, but that's really exciting. And you, there's, I think, a ton of opportunity out there to say, if we can really be known as the experts for the home, 
right? And the person you can trust and the person who can make professional decisions about the home so that it's managed well as an asset and so that it's managed well as a place to live, you know, that's where resident benefit package really fits in, right? And hey, what are the kinds of products and services that create the number one resident experience in SFR? And you know, that that's our goal in partnering with people in doing that. So I, I love that you raise that as a specific example, but there's so many more opportunities that fit that same kind of vision for how you're looking for opportunities in the market. Um, so I think that's a really great, really, really, really great share. Um, I want to do this before we wrap up. You know, we've talked about the future. Uh, certainly, if there's anything else that you wanted to say there, feel, feel free to take it down that path. But I wanted to ask you, like, what's working right now? If somebody wanted something really tactical, really practical that you guys have implemented at Evernest, whether it's in the last six months, 12 months, or even since you started, you know, what's something you would give to people to implement that you feel like every property manager, professional property manager should be doing today? Yeah. So a, a perfect example would have been the brokerage. Uh, that's really working for us right now, but I'll, I'll use something else since I already talked about that. Our leasing is really working right now. And you might say, well, Matthew, uh, everybody's leasing is really working right now. But <laughs> when we first started, when I first started the business, the v- leasing was very manual, right? And w- one of the things uh, I remember driving from one house uh, to another, which from one side of Birmingham to the other is about 30 minutes and showing up at the house and nobody was there, right? I mean, it's the, the no-show uh, prospect. And I was so frustrated by that because I was like, so dumb for me to essentially waste probably an hour after it's all said and done. And this person didn't even show up. And so I really got excited about some of the technology out there that would help you essentially see a house without uh, having to be there. And so if if the, the proverbial pendulum swung from very manual to very uh, automated and we alienated a lot of people by autom- over automating. Um, you know, if you couldn't, if you had to talk to us, we wouldn't. We probably wouldn't lease the house to you because uh, the p- people that weren't talking to us uh, and could move through, move their way through our automation, um, were able to rent the houses. And we really saw our days on market and our um, uh, median days on market kind of go way up almost to the point of just very unhealthy. And so one of the things that we're thinking a lot about is how do you marry the technology, the automation with certain touch points that are very high touch for a much higher return. And so what we did, we've done over the last, I'd say two and a half, three years, ever since we kind of identified this as a problem is we have staffed up our leasing department. Whereas we used to have one person that was probably in charge of leasing for a thousand units, not not a thousand available units, but a thousand units. You know, maybe one person for fifty to eighty units. Now we're thinking about it in terms of one person for twenty. So we still do a lot of automation, but we're also doing a great job of having communicating with people. I and if I think about it. You know, I'm 41 years old. I don't know that I would lease something without at least talking to to somebody. And so it just, it, it didn't even make a lot of sense for me as a potential customer. So why was I pushing that on our residents? The other thing that we found, which is really exciting, is uh, we get a lot of five-star reviews out of our leasing department. So that's helping, obviously, with our marketing. So there's all sorts of bigger benefits to 
marrying technology with really good people and customer service. And I think that marriage is one of the things that we're thinking a lot about here at Everness. Where else can we marry those two? Where have we over-automated? Where do we just have people where we can automate more, where we can bring this kind of synergy of the right dose of each one to uh, to whatever problems mm. out there? Yeah, that's so interesting about the self-showing technology and the interaction of that with, with um, you know, the personal touch and the human-to-human contact through the leasing process because I remember talking to some companies they are like, oh my gosh, we went self-showing full all the way. It's been great. Then I talked to the guys at like Vinebrook Homes who are in the Midwest and they've got an average rent closer to $1,000 a month. And they're like, yeah, no, we tested it. And, and they saw something more similar to what you saw, which was that actually their days on market was going up. So it, it seems like, hey, different people in different markets or different tenant profiles, you've got to be really intentional about what is the leasing experience that those people want. And it seems like what your team really figured out is, hey, by testing and experimenting through that, yes, using the technology that's available today and also pairing it um, you know, with a human experience that people want, you know, you're getting the best results uh, by putting those together and better understanding that customer moving through that process, um, you know, really creating the right experience for them. And then what I love about what you just said that I hope everyone listening to this, but we'll probably clip this one out as a social clip for, <laughs> for people to take away, was turning that, once you figured that out, turning that into five-star reviews and soliciting that because everyone knows how hard it can be to deliver perfectly as a property manager over a four-year tenancy in an occupied product, uh, as well as you know the maintenance and everything else you're talking like delivering a really amazing experience of those things. That's stuff we're going to figure out together in the next decade ahead. But the leasing experience, man, once you've got that figured out, turning that into reviews and reputational impact that seems like a really smart no-brainer move. I, I really like that you said that. Um, man, Matt, here's what I here's what I want to do to wrap up. Um, what's a question that we didn't ask you today that you wish we asked you, or that you wish more people asked you about property management? You know, the first one that comes to mind is something I, I mentioned in passing earlier is about intentionality about where I'm going to end, where you want to end up. I don't think a lot of us spend enough time focused on that. And so, um, you know, if I was, if I was starting a property management company today, or I was trying to figure out where am I going, I, I would basically answer, I would do two things. Number one, I would decide, do I want to, um, you know, be a boutique manager or do I want to uh, grow a company to scale? And I would be, and I would also understand and talk to people that have done both and what is going to be required of me to do that. Uh, you know, it takes a different personality to grow a company to scale than it does to manage a boutique business. A, to, to borrow from E-Myth, um, you know, it takes a technician to build a property management company boutique. It takes a business owner to grow a company to scale. Um, I was a great technician. I've had to learn the ways of business ownership. And so just, but knowing what it's going to take to get there in terms of capital, stress on your family to grow a business, especially if you're going to try to bootstrap it kind of like we did, uh, you just need to be very, you just need to know like what the road's going to look like before you do that. The second thing I would do, and everybody asked me, you know, what, what should I read when I get into business? is if you have not read the book Traction, you absolutely need to. It's amazing how many people will start a business. I'll 
I'll either buy the book for them or tell them to go buy it. And I'll see them six months later and they still haven't, haven't read the book. What I believe is that, you know, as we started growing our company, I was riding down the road and I had ideas, I had issues, I had all sorts of things going on. And traction, the EOS model gives you a great cubby hole to stick everything in and a great way to, because you're going to have to learn how to run a business and do the actual business piece. Why don't you go ahead and leverage somebody that knows how to run a business, run their EOS model so that you can focus on the things that generate revenue, which is actually providing whatever service you do to clients. And so, you know, I think I, I have a heart for the people that just get into this business. They hear, you know, Matthew talk and hear that they're almost at 5,000 units and, you know, dream of being that one day. But take it from somebody who's here. You've got to know, you know, what it looks like to get here and um, and be ready to go, you know, do whatever it takes to get here. And so I, I heard somebody say, you want what I have, but are you willing to do what I've done? And being very clear on what that takes, I think is really important. Mm. That's so great. You know, I think very few people do pause and say, what do I want my business to look like in 2024? Why is that? You know, (laughs) why do I want it to look that way? How clear am I on the key milestones and things I'm going to need to accomplish and put in place and how that's going to work? Um, I love what you said about distinguishing the role of business owner, you know, and technician was the the verbiage that you use. Um, we see this so many times with people saying, man, I'm so busy in the business and they're on this treadmill of a high paying job in property management, but you can tell their heart is somewhere else. You can tell their heart is they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be a business owner. And it's not just that their name's on the door, that they really have a business with a team in place and systems in place that run it, um, but aren't sure how to do it. And I love your recommendations of traction. I love your podcast, 300 to 3000, which I think either route somebody goes, by the way, based on the episodes I've listened to, even people who are <laughs> interested in the boutique, I- I've, he- I've heard a lot of things that they would get value out of, uh, especially for the people who are saying, how do we look and grow scale? Obviously, the title uh, is implicit that that's definitely for you. And uh, Matt, thank you so much for spending time with us today to share your wisdom, share your insights, uh, you know, and share your stories of what's working and what you see for the future. And um, man, just thank you again. That's it. Just deep gratitude to to end it out. Well, I really appreciate you having me. I I don't give this compliment lightly. I really think a lot of the culture y'all built. And when I'm thinking about culture within our industry, I think a lot of the Second Nature team that you and Thad and everybody's building over there. And uh, it's just amazing uh, to me what y'all have done in the industry. And so I, like I said, I was really nervous about this podcast because I know the, the voice you have in the industry. And I'm like, man, like, don't screw this up, Matthew. This is, these guys are giving you a chance. So I appreciate the opportunity. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Thanks again. And uh, with that, everyone have a great day. That's all for this episode of The Triple Win. Thanks go out to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker for everything they do to put these episodes together. And we want to remind everyone that you can find more resources, upcoming events, a link to our private Facebook group where the conversation continues in between these episodes with other professional property managers. All of that you can find 
at rbp.secondnature.com. Again, that's rbp.secondnature.com. And until next time, keep transforming what it means to be in professional property management by finding and applying your next triple win. We want it to be true that every time we see you, we see a better version of you and your business. With that, cheers. Cheers.